The Water Values Podcast, Session 55. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. We've got a great interview for you today, but before we get to that, I just want to let you know that next week is my kids' spring break, so there's no podcast next week. And also, thanks to those of you who've gone to the website and completed the online survey that's linked there. Really appreciate you filling that out. And if you haven't done so, please head over to thewatervalues.com. It's on the very front page. You can just click a link, and there's a 10-question survey. It won't take you very long, and it will really help me out in figuring uh, what's the best content to bring to you and what are the subjects and topics you want to list, you want to hear about on the podcast. Well, on to today's interview, where we welcome James Eklund, the director of the Colorado Water Conservation Board to the program. James is going to walk us through the issues surrounding Colorado's water plan. He does a terrific job giving texture to why the plan was needed and what's gone into it thus far. It's a relatively long interview, so let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, James, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, James, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so thanks for having <laughs> well, me. Well, thank you. Uh, so my interest in water uh, probably goes all the way back to my childhood over on the Western Slope. My uh, great-great-grandparents homesteaded a cattle ranch over on the north side of Grand Mesa back in 1888. They homesteaded from Norway uh, clear back then, and my parents actually uh, run the cow-calf operation today. So uh, growing up, I uh, they, they weren't ranchers by uh, trade. They had grown up around ranching and farming their whole lives, but they were school teachers. So I moved around the state. I've lived in almost every major river basin in the state <laughs> uh, because they were, as I describe them, itinerant uh, school teachers. Uh, they, they moved around quite a bit. And every summer, though, our kind of the, the anchor was the ranch. And uh, that ranch uh, was my introduction to water and water issues. And my great, my grandfather, uh, would take me up uh, into the uh, hay fields there and and uh, show me how irrigation worked uh, good old-fashioned flood irrigation uh, right there on the side of uh, uh, the north side of Grand Mesa in fact if you if you know where that uh, big mudslide is that happened on salt salt creek I'm gonna lapse into the vernacular. <laughs> uh, salt creek there they had uh, the, the ranch is just about two miles below where that massive landslide happened where uh, a huge chunk, almost like a back bullet veil uh, of cubic yards of material uh, calved off the side of Grand Mesa and uh, created a, a really hazardous situation, uh, took three lives in the process. And um, But that's the neck of the woods I'm from. That's where I learned uh, about water uh, right off the bat, you know, on the on the, uh, the right end of a shovel, I guess you'd put it. And then, yeah. uh, and then from there, uh, went to... Uh, College out at Stanford in California, uh, where water was uh, an interesting uh, uh, theme, and it, it, it's it would be fascinating to go back to school uh, at Stanford now, uh, where they're in the middle of a 500-year drought, and uh, kind of see how 
water is influencing people's uh, learning and the curriculum that's that's been adopted there at Stanford. The uh, uh, years after that, I went to uh, University of Denver College of Law. I got my law degree, uh, interned for uh, then Attorney General Ken Salazar, uh, worked with him uh, uh, on whatever issues he wanted to assign to me, but I also got the opportunity to to volunteer for his campaign. And because I wasn't qualified to do anything else, I was his driver. So, <laughs> the wheel man. Yeah. I was the wheel man. <laughs> and I drove around the Western Slope with him, uh, places that I grew up around. And we had conversations because cell service wasn't all that great back then. Uh, so he, you know, uh, had the choice of either sleeping, uh, which I'm sure was attractive because he, he worked very, very long days, still does. Uh, or talking to the driver. And so, uh, lucky for me, he talked to the driver quite a bit. <laughs> it told me a lot about water uh, from his perspective, and and we, we chatted about that to the point where he said, you know, you should probably think about going into water law if, if you're interested in the natural resources in Colorado. And I, did, I followed up on that, uh, went to work for uh, the attorney general's office, did water law there for uh, about five years, and then moved over to the attorney general or to the uh, governor's office. Governor Hickenlooper uh, was uh, kind enough to want a water lawyer on his, uh, in, in his circle of, of lawyers there. And I uh, was senior deputy legal counsel to him uh, for about two and a half years. And then this position came open and I moved over to do it. And the position you're in now, you are the director of the Colorado Water Can- Conservation Board, right? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And what are the responsibilities of the, of the Water Conservation Board in general? So they're vast and deep. Uh, <laughs> uh, founded back, clear back in 1937, it's the uh, kind of the one-stop shopping for water issues in Colorado as far as state agencies go. There are other state agencies that have big water uh, portfolios, uh, the biggest one being the Division of Water Resources or the State Engineer's Office. They're kind of like the water cop in Colorado, uh, and they do the administrative side of, of the business, and then uh, we do, you know, just about everything else, uh, flood response. Uh, we do, we're kind of a low interest loan bank. So if you're a ditch or reservoir company and you're interested in financing, we're a place you can go. Uh, if you maybe don't have the sophistication or the portfolio to get a loan from Wells Fargo or something like that, you can come to our, our outfit. And, um, we're, we're proud of, uh, to, to provide that service to the water community in Colorado uh, in addition to that, we have uh, over well, close to 2,000 miles of in-stream flow rights that we maintain. Uh, we can get into that if you want a little bit later, but the uh, uh, I'm going across the sections here in my head. We have <laughs> we have five sections, and I'm going to get a section chief that's going to uh, rake me over the coals if I, if I don't uh, touch on what, what it is they do, because they're all very, very hardworking and, and excellent uh, at what they do. Uh, we, we also play a big role on the nine interstate compacts, two equitable apportionment decrees, and two international treaties that, that Colorado's party to. Uh, and we also have, uh, you know, uh, stream restoration and watershed health as part of our mission. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to spend some time talking about the water plan, but water planning and uh, kind of what, what's going on in uh, – that space in Colorado is is another focus of ours. So I, I hope I got to everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, you 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 know alluded to it. You mentioned the water plan. Um, 
and you're all over the place. I mean, I, I got my uh, Headwaters magazine from the Colorado Foundation for Water Education today, and bam, you're on the cover of it. So uh, the Colorado Water Plan is very top of mind right now. But let's before we, we dive into it, I, I just want to take one step back. And for those listeners who may not be familiar with with why Colorado is even considering a water plan or it doesn't, doesn't know it didn't have one, let's let's step back and say, you know, why why is the plan needed? Uh, and what, you know, what's your perception at least of why there never was one? Yeah. So that's a fantastic question. And it's a good place to start, uh, the conversation about the water plan. We have, uh, really the first attempt at strategic water planning statewide in this document. And the reason the timing is, is, is important and why we're, we feel compelled to do this now is if you step way back and you look at the state from kind of 20,000 feet, we are, uh, you know, our headwater state, 18 downstream states depend on water that starts here in Colorado. Uh, so we're, we're not real big in terms of population, only about 5.3 million Coloradans, but we do have a really significant impact on the Western United States because of those nine uh, major river basins that originate here in Colorado and, and eventually leave our state. So we, uh, if we move, I'm, I'm, fond of saying if we twitch on water then we uh everybody downstream of us notices and <laughs> and that's a you know the 18 downstream states in the country of mexico are, are not insignificant uh to have as an audience so uh we really i, I think are at a time in hydrology and and uh planning where we need to get our own house in order so to speak uh when i give a presentation on the water plan i throw up a map that has all the states of the West and which ones have water plans, you know, they're shaded blue and the ones that don't uh, are shaded like tan. And almost every single state in the West has a water plan of some kind. Now they, they range from being kind of uh, water atlases, if you will. They're not, not uh, seeing much in terms of uh, strategic uh, action that they want to take coming out of, you know, to address issues. Uh, Clear to, clear to a real actionable plans that water lawyers in that in that particular state might have dog-eared copies of their water plans sitting on their desk because it's so important to understand the the direction that the state is headed uh, in its in its policy and its its financing and you know all the things that are really talked about in detail and in, in the plan so uh, Colorado's water plan is that first attempt at at strategic uh, statewide policy making Sure. And any any thoughts on why the plan wasn't already in place? I mean, is there any? <laughs> That's the question I get a lot. <laughs> you you mean you guys are just getting around to this? In fact, <laughs> Governor Hickenlooper, I think that was one of his first questions. Was you mean we don't have a strategic plan for water? If you had a business that had an input as critical to its bottom line as water is to the bottom line of Colorado, you would be really upset with the CEO and the board of directors, uh, to put it mildly. So. Uh, you know, the, the answer to that question really is uh, it's tough to divorce it out of uh, history and politics. Uh, I think throughout his, the history of Colorado, water has been a really emotional topic. It's a private property right. Uh, you know, my own story that uh, starts on the western slope and at the end of the shovel uh, really is, I think, uh, similar to a lot of the people in the water community. They, they've learned it from a real basic uh, human needs standpoint. And when you interface with a resource like that, uh, and it's a life-giving type of, of element, 
it, it really does, you know, bring a, a, a visceral reaction out of people when you start talking about it in terms of policy. And when you start talking about the state of Colorado to doing something as far as a, a statewide water policy, people start, you know, crossing their arms and, and, and scour, scowling a little bit and saying, <laughs> hey, what, what is the state going to say about this topic? that is going to be value added because it's a private property, right? And I don't think you, you, you know, I certainly don't want you changing that. Uh, so what are you going to say that hasn't already been said? And, and like I said, is, is going to be value added to the conversation. And even up, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have said the same thing if someone would have approached me and said, Hey, we, we're going to do a statewide water plan in Colorado. I would have said, you know, we have the prior appropriation doctrine. We have that, that fundamental bedrock of water law in Colorado that's shared with so many other Western states. Uh, and that's really, you know, that's our water plan uh, and that's all we need. But the landscape started shifting for a number of reasons about 10 years ago. And uh, I think, you know, we in, in this state have a tradition of responding to challenges and our water challenges, even though it's really kind of slow moving in terms of a catastrophe. It's not like a Hurricane Sandy or a Hurricane Katrina. It's every bit as much uh, a natural disaster as those faster moving events, because when you look at the impact economically and, and to communities and cultures, uh, you know, drought is a substantial uh, catastrophe. And, it, and again, it is slow moving, but we need to be thinking about it more holistically and about how we, uh, how we're going to respond to it. So, Sustained and systemic drought is something that Colorado has uh, has witnessed since statehood and before, but we hadn't seen it in the severity that we've seen it over the last 10, 15-year period of record. And uh, so that's, that's one way the landscape's changed. We also know more about our population growth. Uh, people love this state, and it's for good reason. You know, there's a reason, uh, you know, looking out your window here to the east, uh, you look out on the Great Plains and you keep going toward the Mississippi river and property values start getting uh, less and less uh, as you get further away from the, the spine of the Rocky mountains and the front range here. And I think there's no, you know, that's no accident. People want to be around uh, this. They also want access to that Eastern plain uh, culture and lifestyle of open space and, and uh, really food security. People want to know where their food's coming from. I think across the country and specifically in Colorado, we have a wonderful dynamic where we have this really populated uh, metro front range here, but we have access to fresh produce and, and uh, agricultural products that is, is second to none. So that's, that's part of the brand of Colorado, and that's something that I think uh, you know, this plan tries to really look broadly at the water values of the state of Colorado and those are set forth in the governor's executive order clear back in 2013. But uh, we, we really, those are kind of our, our pole star for this effort. And um, if we can keep those front of mind, then I think we stand a chance at actually, you know, doing what people want us to do, which is add value to the water conversation with this plan. Sure. Uh, before we, before we actually start to unpack the draft plan, because uh, it is in draft form right now, uh, from a real high level, can you just kind of tell tell us where we are in the process and and kind of what the end game is? You bet. So uh, the end game is a final, a first final uh, by December tenth, no later than December tenth of twenty fifteen. Here, 
So it was December 10th of 2014 that the draft was due. We delivered it on that date to the governor's office. And then uh, we've got this year basically to put some edges on some of these issues and make sure that we've got an actionable plan uh, moving forward. So uh, to get there, we've got a uh, list of uh, dates and uh, really it's, uh, it's premised on, on the structure that we've set up to do this work. So the, if I can take a step back, the, the way we used to do uh, and the way some many states still do it is you get a bunch of really smart people uh, together in your state capital and you lock them in a room and you have them come up with a plan or uh, some sort of product that then you take out to the rest of the state. You say, see, look at this beautiful thing that we've created. And don't you think it's as beautiful as we do? And, uh, you know, that that kind of effort to push policy out, you know, radiating out from Denver was, uh, you know, dead on arrival uh, for, for good reason. People in this state, uh, going back to that visceral reaction to, to water policy changes, they want to know why it is somebody in Denver is uh, smarter than they are as the steward of the resource uh, and telling them what they should or shouldn't do with, the, with, with their water right. Uh, and, and so to get away from that, we basically turned that model on its ear. We've reversed the flow, so to speak. We've uh, set up these basin roundtables uh, that have been stood up since 2005, so 10 years of meetings and, uh, and conversation. And we've had them put together basin implementation plans from their perspective in their basin. So we've got these basin implementation plans coming to Denver instead of Denver coming up with the policy and sending it out to the to – the, uh, Far corners of the state, so that's that's the uh, the structure that we enjoy right now. And based on that structure, we have uh, public input on the website, uh, and I'll, I'll mention it here. But I probably should mention it two or three more times if this is if I can count this as a successful uh, interview or podcast. Uh, it's www.coloradowaterplan.com, and so if you go to that website, you can. Now, this is really, this is the fun part for me, uh, David. We have uh, uh, really what, what I'm fond of calling open source policymaking going on with this water plan. And as you know, and I'm sure your listeners have, have a much better nuanced definition of, of open source coding than I do, but open source coding is turning over the guts of your software to... Uh, the public, and then the hope is that the public makes that product better, free of charge to you, the developer. And that's really what we're doing with Colorado's water plan. We're we're giving the you know we're opening up the source code of water policy making in Colorado to the general public. Anybody with an internet connection or a Wi-Fi uh, device can can get to uh, the website and review everything that we've got all the drafts, all the chapters that we'll go over in some detail here, but it's important that they know that there's also a public comment field there on the website. So not only can you read it, but you can also say, well, I really like that section, or I think this is an idea that you missed. And the hope is that we've created that open source uh, type of dynamic here that allows the, the plan to become much more uh, uh, you, you know, uh, value-added in the long run. Sure, and just to assuage your fear, we'll we'll include a link to the Colorado Water Plan website on the on the show notes. So, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, when when you sat down and started looking at what the water plan ought to 
ought to look like. How much did you look at other those other states' water plans? You kind of mentioned um, that they really ran the gamut in terms of of you know how much substance they they offered. Uh, so uh, in in the draft Colorado water plan, you know what you know what's what were you modeling it after, if anything? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the greatest uh, pieces of advice we got, and we did, we read all the other water plans that were out there, especially from the Western United States. And uh, we had people that were, you know, my counterparts in other states come uh, talk to our board. We called them up. We talked to them at conferences and elicited their thoughts. And the best uh, advice, I guess, that I got was from my counterpart in Texas, Carlos Rubenstein, who, who uh, told me, uh, you know, whatever you do, you know, read all these. It's good you're reading all these plans, but whatever you do, don't copy anybody else's plan. Only write a plan that is uh, makes sense for your state. And and the reason that was just fantastic advice is that you know he's right. We we have a different dynamic in Colorado. We're unique. Like I said, we're a headwater state. We have all those dynamics. Uh, we're the we're the, really the the fertile crescent of the doctrine of prayer appropriation. Uh, a lot of people call it the Colorado doctrine for that reason. And uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that sets us apart, as does our water court process. We're the only state in the union that has water court. And that means that we, uh, we're unique. And our water plan needs to reflect the, the unique characteristics of our state and our water law. And so the, uh, that, w- that was the best piece of advice I got. But we have read all of them, and they do fall kind of all along that spectrum of being uh, really uh, kind of glossy reports that sit on a shelf and don't do much uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is, like I said, dog-eared documents that everybody uh, that that is in the water uh, discussion really has a copy of and is uh, trying to make better because this document, even come December of this year, when we hope to have the the final uh, all wrapped up, uh, hopefully well in advance of that, actually, but, but even then, that's the first final our hydrology is not going to stand stagnant for us. And, and this plan has to be dyna- dynamic uh, to adjust for all the modeling and economics that are going to change in, inevitably between now and, uh, you know, the next, uh, uh, the next time we, we pick this up. Terrific. Well, um, from, that, from that higher level also, could you give us the, just the overview of the Colorado Water Plan? Because it is, it's thick reading. It's uh, you know, I'm looking at the copy sitting on the table right now, and uh, I'd say yours is yours is double-sided print, and it's probably a good inch and three quarters. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a thick plan. So, tell us just a little bit uh, from an overview perspective of of what's all in the plan. You bet. Let's unpack this a little bit. So, uh, it's 344 pages to be exact, uh, and it it's dense. There's not a lot of pictures in it. Uh, that having been said, we tried to make <laughs> we tried to make this uh, this this draft uh, approachable by people who aren't you know water wonks or or in the profession. So we created a, an executive summary and spent some of the hard earned taxpayer dollar on a glossy uh, I think it's about fifteen page executive summary that you can find on our website uh, that does have some some pretty pictures, but it it also is you know really we really tried to make a concerted effort to talk in terms that people, you know, average people, not water wonks, uh, uh, you know, communicate and understand. And so we, we have, uh, 
the first couple of chapters, in fact, the first uh, four chapters are going to be, uh, well, the first one's an introduction. And it's a good place to go. In fact, this executive summary is a great place if you're just now hearing about this for the first time or you're interested in doing a deeper dive into this. The The first uh, place I'd send you is the executive summary because you're going to get a breakdown of each chapter in a, a very uh, pithy format. It's, it's, it's four or five uh, paragraphs each uh, and at, at most. And then, uh, and then you can dive deeper into the actual chapter if you want to do that. So James, uh, tell me a little about how, you know, conservation fits into the water plan. You bet. So Governor Hickenlooper is fond of saying every conversation about water needs to start with conservation. And what he means by that is, you know, this whole supply demand imbalance or the gap that we're creating between the two, it really, we, we, we lower the gap if we're using, not only using less, but demanding less. And conservation is a really exciting frontier where, you know, we've got in the water plan and, and other work that the CWCB has been engaged on, uh, low and high and medium uh, targets that are, you know, potential targets or goals that we could, as a state, be focused on in terms of uh, consumption and actual diversion of water. And that's, uh, that's something that, um, you know, Denver Water certainly uh, in the last, uh, last month has really had a conversation with uh, us and, and uh, their residents, their ratepayers, uh, you know, that's, that really started back in 2002 with the big drought that we faced then. And they're now down to, you know, the last time they dropped this low in terms of water use was 1937, no, sorry, 1973. Not quite back that far. <laughs> 1973, uh, when they had 350,000 uh, fewer people to serve. So we're using less water in in the municipal and industrial context. And you know, there's there's still be gains to be had there, and best practices to be uh, picked up on. And th- that's really exciting because we really do uh, hit the hit the problem from both sides if we can conserve water in Colorado. Thanks, James. Well, you know, you mentioned early on that one of the big obstacles here is that water is a private property right. So how does the water plan uh, address the issue uh, between supply and demand because the the state does not have um, the ownership rights over over the supply? So how can how can the policy influence that? Yeah, so supply and demand and and the private property right uh, dynamic that we have in Colorado water is, uh, it does present some challenges to be sure. Uh, we, uh, you know, if I go over to talk to my folks about the fact that we've got buy and dry and I'll, I can break that down a little bit buy and dry being, uh, you know, if you're a thirsty municipality or a thirsty, uh, water user of any kind and you need to get wet water right now, the market, uh, drives you to, purchase water rights from irrigated agriculture, um, wherever, you know, it's most heavily felt here on the front range, uh, in, on the Eastern plains and and the agricultural economies to the East of the metro area here. But you can go, uh, you can go out there and buy those water rights, uh, relatively cheaply. And then you transfer the water off of the land when your system needs it. And the result is if you don't put a cover crop in and 
that does happen, but if it doesn't, or if that cover crop's removed, then you can have a real drying effect of that land and the, you know, the, the iconic pictures of the Dust Bowl kind of come to mind where that, that topsoil starts to roll and, and uh, blow. And so that's, that's buy and dry. When you, when you purchase that, that water right, move it off the land, and it, the effect is drying the land. Uh, we as a water community in Colorado have concluded that that's not a sustainable future going at that, uh, at the clip we're at right now to that market for all of our water demand. So we need to, uh, we need to shape that without trampling on somebody's ability to buy or sell water, which is a, that's a, that's a heavy lift. Uh, we think we're striking a balance here on the water plan though, by giving people more options. So if I go to my folks, uh, over on the Western slope and I say, uh, you know, you guys interested in selling your water, uh, they might say, well, you and your brother may not be coming back to ranch. So I got to do what every small business does. I got to tally up my liabilities and my assets, and I've got to figure out if this makes a business case. And if it does, then I can keep going. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to have to sell it. And I want the best value possible for that sale. Uh, they're a little nervous that, that we would say at the state level or try and, uh, you know, hamper their ability to get the maximum value for that sale of, of a water right. So what we've done is being sensitive to that. We've said, you know, here are some options that we might be able to uh, put on the table for a egg producer who's interested in getting into one of these transactions with the municipality. But, you know, most of them, including my folks, they want to see the land uh, in the water tied to the land in perpetuity. And if they could get that, then they might take a little less uh, in terms of a payment for the, for their water right uh, or for the use of their water in certain years. And what I'm basically outlining is, is uh, following concepts where you, where you essentially don't use the water right. Uh, the water goes to the, to the end user uh, in the municipality. And then, uh, but it's only in a handful of years in a certain period that's defined. And then you uh, eventually get the, uh, the water tied in perpetuity to the land through a conservation easement or something like that. So those are the options that we need to be exploring more of. And, and uh, that's, that's where the plan right now takes the discussion. Let's turn to an area that may not be as glamorous and hasn't received as much attention as some of the other areas of Colorado's water plan. And I really want to, I want to focus on the economics and the funding issues because, you know, when, when you have a single issue mindset or, or tunnel vision on water issues, uh, then you, you, you naturally start to think, well, you know, water's so important, we should have all our, all our state funding going towards uh, water projects on, and those water issues. Uh, and the fact is that, you know, water issues do not exist in a vacuum. Uh, the state has other uh, responsibilities and other funding obligations uh, that, require, that require state funds. And so, uh, you know, could you break it down a little bit for us and talk about how the, the economics and the funding issues factor into uh, Colorado's water plan. You bet. So real rough justice back of the napkin type of, of analysis here uh, that's, that's noted in the plan is if we total up all the projected municipal, industrial, agricultural, environmental, recreational needs by 2050, the price tag is, you know, and the O&M on those projects and existing projects, we're going to be spending around $20 billion on water projects just here in Colorado. That's a big number. 
And if we're going to really get our arms around that and start to uh, address it, then we're going to have to think outside the box, so to speak, on financing of that. We in Colorado, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not in Colorado, we have a unique, I guess is a diplomatic way to put it, uh, setup of financial rules that have been in, in place or instilled in our Constitution. Uh, and those limit the ability of uh, the state to raise uh, or any government to raise taxes without a vote of the people. Uh, so the result there is a, is a real uh, ceiling, if you will, on revenue, the ability to raise revenue. At the same time, we've put other provisions in our Constitution that require spending to increase on certain programs. And, you know, those two, uh, those two provisions or those handful of provisions operating in concert, the practical effect is that, you know, we've, we've kind of got a fiscal knot that we have to untie in our state. And water isn't immune from that, as you pointed out. You know, transportation, education, healthcare, corrections—all of the other big state tickets that uh, the price tag is equally high for, and the need is arguably uh, as severe. Uh, for we we need to make sure that water is uh, is addressed as we move forward uh, on those other issues. And so, uh, some of the stuff that I was down a, just a, last week, actually, in Dallas at a public-private partnership conference uh, where you know, people in the private equity markets are starting to look at water projects, even you know, bland or, or what, what might, they might have considered uh, years ago to be bland, uh, not really uh, big upside investments. Uh, you know, they're starting to look at those now because they need safe places to park some of their capital. And that's, uh, you know, water projects, I think, are, are an area where, you know, maybe there is an opportunity for us to sit down with, with uh, the private side and talk about offloading some of the risk that the taxpayer usually bears uh, in some of these, on some of these projects. And at the same time, uh, get some help with some financing to build projects, you know, in the near term when the infrastructure needs that investment or the environment needs that investment. Uh, to uh, to maintain healthy you know a healthy uh, uh, dynamic and you know that th- that there there are potentially uh, deals there to be to be made and we need as a state to make sure that we're uh, focused on the the opportunity that that the market right now presents. You know we could talk about the elements of the water plan for a long time. Uh, we've already been talking for quite a while. I just uh, really one more substantive questions. Um, substantive question. Do you see a role uh, perhaps for integrating uh, water plans amongst the states? Um, you know, once the Colorado water plan is done, I mean, could there, could there be an opportunity to integrate these water plans all together or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So uh, this is something that we talked with governor Hickenlooper about uh, in, in some length. And, and he's interested in that. He was the chair of the Western Governors Association last year. He's the chair of the National Governors Association this year. And in those positions, uh, he's had a great kind of a really bird's eye view of all these water plans and, and the efforts around the, uh, the West. And he wants to make sure that we're capitalizing on any kind of synergy that, uh, that the, the other water plans and ours could, could produce. Uh, he's also very clear, though, that you know our, our fundamental starting point is the compacts that we have with those other states. Uh, we're 
we're uh, really provided a great deal of certainty that's necessary to even have discussions on uh, water planning or anything else with those states by virtue of the stability and the, the viability of those interstate compacts. So um, the, the short answer is yes, uh, I think we can, we can really work together with the other states that, and, and if nothing else, uh, pick up lessons learned uh, and good ideas. We certainly don't have a monopoly on good ideas. Uh, we do have a monopoly on the state of Colorado. We are it. <laughs> There's only one state like us. But, you know, there are other headwater states uh, that uh, uh, also have been thinking strategically about the resource, and uh, we need to make sure that we're learning all we can from those other states. Terrific. Well, James, I just want to say thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic today, uh, especially taking this amount of time out of your very busy and hectic schedule uh, as we were talking earlier, you've probably put so many miles on your car that it's almost depressing. Uh, in any event, for those who want to find out more about you and the Colorado Water Conservation Board and Colorado's water plan, where can they go to find out that information? So www.coloradowaterplan.com, all one word, Colorado Water Plan. And then uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, and social media. We're trying to you know get beyond the typical uh, echo chamber of water uh, professionals and, and get out to, you know, this is really, this is Colorado's plan. It, it's not ours as an agency, and it's certainly even not even the water community's uh, product. It is it is the state of Colorado's. And so every person in the state deserves uh, an opportunity to comment on this resource and what it means to them and how, you know, if they have ideas, how, you know, we, we, need, we need to hear them. Terrific. Well, again, James, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. Bye. That was my interview with James Eklund, who really is, just like he sounds, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Well, due to the length of the interview, there's no takeaways this week. And remember, no podcast next week. You can check the show notes for this session out at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 55. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and any other podcast directory you might use. And don't forget to tell your friends about and colleagues about the podcast, to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, and to take that listener survey I mentioned at the top of the show. All of that can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. 
And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.